You're listening to the Soul Align Self-Care Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Stinson, and today we are having a special guest on. Clint Callahan is a seasoned social worker and therapist. In their career, they have effectively aided thousands of professionals in enhancing their lives and relationships. They have observed the profound positive changes in their personal lives and the clients that they work with, utilizing the small changes, big impact, 1% per day transformational system. It's about giving people practical psychological tools to improve their lives in just 15 minutes a day. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Soul Align Self-Care Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Stinson, and we will be talking all about deep level self-care practices to help you have success in both your personal and professional life by reducing stress and anxiety and overwhelm, improving your mindset and creating a strong, loving connection with yourself. I'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Soul Align Self-Care Podcast, Clint. So good to have you. So good to be here. Thank you. Could you start just by telling me a little bit about yourself and sure. the work that you do? Sure. My name is Clint Callahan. I have been a therapist, life coach, just basically psychological thinker for pretty much my whole life, but I've really been actively doing that for about 23 years. I recently started a life coaching business called Small Changes, Big Impact a 1% per day transformational system, because I believe that it only takes about 15 minutes a day to help people begin to change the way that they think about their environment. Because ultimately it comes down to what we think, how we perceive the situation around us is what creates our reality. And so the more psychologically minded you can be of where you recognize that, oh, this thought process I'm having right now makes no sense whatsoever. It is uh-huh. a fear-based thought process. And I'm about ready to act on that. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm tired of being stuck in that pattern. Yeah. And so my program basically teaches about 30 different, you know, clinically proven psychological tools to help people take that step back and take about a minute to two minutes before they respond to things or do things to just make improvements in their life. I love that. That's a, that's, that's a great process. I always talk about, you know, small steps, you know, big changes, small steps equals big changes. Yes, it does. So one of the reasons I was excited about having you on is because you are the first man that I interviewed on, right? So you're the first one. And I feel- Yes, I broke the glass ceiling. You did. did. (laughs) And so I thought it was really important though, to me and for everyone to realize that self-care isn't just for women, it's for men Mm -hmm. too. And I wanted a man to come on here and represent that. And I think some of the things that you're teaching are definitely completely aligned with soul aligned self-care. And Mm -hmm. so could you tell me your experience that you've had with some men and some of the struggles that they have to do this type of work? Sure. I will start with my own experience because I've struggled and then I will branch out into this different clients that I had over the years as well. Um, so for me, it was, you know, I was bullied a lot as a kid through elementary, uh, junior high and high school. And so that began my process of basically being anxious, depressed, people pleasing and having imposter syndrome. 
And so with when you have those, that kind of combination of things, it really makes self-care like the last thing because all of those, all of those issues basically make it where you're hyper alert and you're hyper aware of what everybody else around you may want from you. So you're constantly looking outward, 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 trying to anticipate, oh, this is what this person needs. This is what this person needs. This is what this person needs. And I have to be the one to provide it because if I don't, then they won't like me or they'll figure out I'm a fraud or whatever it is that the story is that you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. And so one of the hardest, so the, the crazy thing is that one of the hardest moments of my life and one was also the thing that forced me to really change the way that I think about how I live my life. And that was in 2005, my mom was, my mom was diagnosed in 2003 with a, um, with a disorder called dermatomyositis, which is a musculoskeletal, um, it basically dissolves the connective tissue between all of your joints because it's an autoimmune disorder. Not very many people have it. There's no cure for it. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So she went through that. And then at the end, she ended committing suicide because she couldn't stand being in pain 24 seven, 365. And so That's needless hard. to say, men and their father, you know, boys and their father, boys and their mothers, you know, yeah. girls and their you know, girls and their fathers, that kind of stuff that threw me for a loop. And my grief process just basically had me burned out, exhausted, depressed, extra anxious, extra fried, grieving, and I just couldn't do therapy or social work anymore. So I went into real estate and did all that stuff. And then I ended up going, and then 2008 happened and we lost everything. Yeah. And so then I had to go move in with my wife and our newborn child in with our in-laws for about a year and a half to get back on our feet, where we were very lucky to have that. But wow, What a humbling experience. Yeah. And during that three year, three and a half year process of my grieving and going through and doing all this stuff, I didn't do any self-care. All I did was bury myself in work, get disconnected from my family, not be a part of life. Just focus on work, 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 because it's very easy to do that. Because for most men, it is work is what we do because we can't, you know, we can become fathers, but we're not fathers technically until kids are born. And even then fatherhood is a choice. Mm-hmm. You have to, men have to literally choose to decide to be a parent and to yeah. be present and to be a father. And it was hard because I recognized that, let's see, at the time, so my son was just born. So this was about 2009. I really decided, no, I need I need to be a present parent. I need to be here for him because that's what my mom did for me. And so I started to snap out of it. I started to change the way that I was viewing things because I recognized that I was being completely and totally unhealthy, drinking too much, staying up too late, not connecting with the right kind of people and just basically out of control. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so uh, you started working with other people, helping them through the similar challenges. Yes. And I'm curious, when did you come to the realization to start the project that you talked about at the beginning when you yeah. off the small the small steps? I can't remember what you yeah. called. Yeah. Uh, small changes, big impact. Thank you. Yes. yes. Um, so I started, I started that actually, really, that actually is something that I've been thinking about and that I started working on myself like about a decade ago because I knew that I needed to change. And I also knew that having a newborn baby, you don't really have a lot of time to think while working a full-time job and trying to do all the stuff. You don't have a lot of time. So I had to use all the 
all the tools and all the things that I learned as a psychologist and as a therapist to really begin to go, okay, what are the main things that you need to do to begin to change the way that you are living your life? And the first thing that I started to do and that I teach everybody when they come in is you need to have a really good floor and ceiling to your day. You need to have a good morning routine and a good evening routine, because if you can have those two things, it gives you the ability, then whatever happens in the day is just part of the day. But from the moment you wake up to the moment you leave your home, you're in as much control as you possibly can be of your environment, of what's going on with you, of how you're feeling about things and those kind of things. Because once you leave your house, it's it's chaos. It's the world. It's whatever happens is going to happen. Yeah. And so by having a good floor and a ceiling, it allows you to begin the process of really having, of changing the way you do goals. Because goals the way people have done and set up goals and told people to do goals is backwards, at least in my opinion. I, The way they tell people is, okay, figure out what you want, then figure out the steps to do what you want. And then by the time you get to the end of doing the steps and getting what you want, you'll know who you are. But that's backwards. First, yeah. you need to know who you are. First, you need to become the kind of person that deserves that mountaintop goal. Mm -hmm. So first, you have to figure out who you want to be. Then you figure out what you need to do to be that. And mm -hmm. by knowing who you want to be and then knowing what you want to do to be that, you can then get to the place that where you have the things that you want. Because that way, when you get there, it's not this, wow, I made it to the mountaintop. Now what? I have no yeah. idea what to do. I don't, I, I'm, I'm now king of the world. And yet all my relationships have fallen apart. And mm -hmm. I've hurt so many people along the way in pursuit of this goal, instead of trying to be the kind of person that I wanted to be. That's why you see so many people that are multimillionaires, multi-billionaires be massive philanthropists because they're trying to make up for everything that they did to get to that point, instead of yeah. being the kind of person they wanted to be all the way throughout their process. Yeah. And I think that doing it the way, you know, that you talked about also helps you really identify that these are your goals and not someone else's, not what somebody else wants you to do, not what's expected of you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always call it finding your why on your goal. Yeah. And if yes. you really kind of like investigate why you're doing something, sometimes you discover that this isn't your goal. This might've been something your parents wanted you to do. Maybe your spouse wants you to do or your kids, or maybe it's just what is expected of you in your circle, your society that you live within. Mm -hmm. And so really learning about yourself first to make sure that this is something you want. And then learning to enjoy your little wins along the way so that, because it's really not about the end point. It never mm -hmm. is. When you get to an end point, you always realize that, that it's really about the journey. And I know that yeah. sounds super cheesy, but it's true. It's really yeah. about enjoying the process as you move along. And um, what I really like about the small steps is uh, when I when I work on goals with people, I don't even ask them to figure out all the steps because mm -hmm. when you look at a goal, a big goal and something you achieved and you get there and you look back, could you have ever guessed that that's the way you would have done it? Never. No, right? not so one, no. I feel no. like it's a waste of time to try to figure yeah. out all the steps because a lot of times what it does is intimidate you. It, it creates overwhelm and it stops you in your tracks and then you're not taking action. And so like, it's really all you need to do is uh, know is the first step and it's a guess. Yeah. And then you yeah. do that first step and then you discover, hey, did that work? And if it didn't, you know, you just, 
you know, oh, fluctuate. I, I'm I'm one hundred percent in agreement. That is that is exactly the way I look at the way I teach people and I talk to people about goal setting is think of it like if you were going to climb a mountain. The first thing you do is you figure out what mountain are you going to climb, and then you go find a guide that has done and been and climbed that mountain to help prepare you to climb that mountain. Mm -hmm. And then you may actually get all the gear to make sure that you really want to go climb the mountain. And then you actually go to the mountain. And then when you're at the base of the mountain, the first thing your guide usually tells you, because I have a friend who did this, he's like, the first thing our guide told us is don't look at the top. Yeah, totally. Because if you look at the top of the mountain, you're already done. You're already exhausted. You're already tired. Your brain already starts saying, how are you going to do that? There's no way you can do that. You're already exhausted. And so his, his thing, which I use with all my clients is I'm like, when you begin any goal process, you have to start by figuring out the path you want to go on and then just look at your feet and then mm-hmm. just do it one step at a time. If you, as long as you have a general North star where you're trying to go, you will get there. That's yeah. why for me, one of the biggest changes that happened for me the reason why we decided to move out of California where I lived for 20 years to Colorado where I live currently is because we were exhausted. We were trying to live in, we, 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 were, li- we were living in the Bay Area, which is the most expensive place on the planet to live next to New York and a couple other places. And we were both therapists, my wife and I. So we were lucky to have a house and do all this stuff and do all these things, even given all the things that we went through, we were really lucky that we were able to get the support we were. But what happened was, as we were doing that, we were getting more and more burned out because we were both having to commute for an hour and a half each day. I worked from home and my commute to take my kids to school and daycare and stuff every morning was an hour and a half. So I basically had, so I had an hour and a half commute to work from home. That puts it in perspective, right? That's insane. Really an hour and a half commute to work from home. Yep. It's when I tell people out there like, did you walk really slow? I'm like, no, there was other stuff I had to do. And then my wife had to commute clear across the valley to go to her job. And we basically were gone 10 to 12 hours a day because of traffic and work and all the stuff. And we didn't want that. So we ended up moving here to slow our life down. But in that process, I was burning out because I was working for an insurance company because it's the place that paid the best. I could do some therapy stuff while I was doing it and help a lot of people along the way, but it was burning me out because I was dealing with long-term chronic unfixable problems. Mm-hmm. Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid, people that were chronically mentally ill, chronically substance abused, chronic medical health issues, and they had to try to live on $1,500 a month. That sounds very and, frustrating. In and, and, and any part in the world, yeah. is exhausting. It's hard to do that. But in California, it's impossible. Impossible. And so I had to change the way that I viewed my goals. So I switched my goals from these big lofty things to one personal and one professional goal that I do every day. Mm-hmm. That's all I focus on are just those two things. And the mm-hmm. two goals that I changed everything to was professionally is if I see me, if I see that little light bulb flicker above somebody's head when I'm talking to them, then I know that I've begun to make an impact with them and I guide them towards, continually guiding them towards that light, towards that light bulb moment for them so they can realize that I don't have to live like this anymore. I can have a life that I want. I don't have to stay stuck in the story. I don't have to stay stuck in the way that I feel like my life is going wrong. And it's if I see it, they may not see it yet, but as long as I'm seeing it, it gives me this ability to bump them and guide them and continue to be guardrails to help them get where they're trying to go. Because 
I'm, I'm an expert when it comes to mental health. I'm an expert when it comes to a lot of different psychological problems, but you're the expert in you. So my job is not to tell you how to live your life. My job is to use all the tools I have, teach them as many as you want to learn and help keep you and create a path for you so that you can get out of whatever you're going through. And my second goal is my personal goal. And that is whenever I'm talking to somebody, whenever I'm talking to family, with my kids, whenever I'm with anybody in my life, in my personal life, it's be there, be present. Don't be stuck on my phone. Don't get stuck in TV. Don't get stuck in these other places, but be present because, and this really late, like about two weeks ago, I was reading this article and it really hit home when it came to my kids because what the article said is 93% of the time that we spend with our children are from zero to 18. After that, you get 7% of them for the rest of your life. I'm yeah. Like, no. yeah. I'm like, no way. I'm like, no, that, <laughs> that math is wrong. That number is way too high. There's no way that's possible. And so I thought about my own life, right? And it's like, well, yeah, for the first 18 years of my life, I saw my parents pretty much every day. Yeah, I lived yeah. in their home, did all the stuff, and then went to college. And then I saw them maybe twice a month for the first quarter of the school year. Then I saw them maybe once a month. Then and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then I moved to California. I saw them once every two years yeah. and, you know, and so on and so forth. And it's like, oh, wow, that's true. Yeah. So I'm now I've totally changed the way that I I'm, I'm spending time with my kids and I'm making sure that it's fully present, fully engaged. Now, when before it was like, oh, I'm too tired. I really I mean, I'll have time to do it later. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really, I'm just, I'm not really feeling, I just got done working today. Really? You want me to go play this video game that you like? And like, I like yeah. video games, but that doesn't sound like my kind of thing. And now I'm like, yes, I will find time to do it. Yes. I can do that for a half hour. Yes. I can do that for these things because my kids are now 11 and 14. Yeah. So I've used up 47% and like 68% of my time with them. And yeah. when you think about it in that way, it's like, whoa. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. All my, my kids are all grown and yeah. out. And I could, I could vouch for that, that that's true. And I'm very lucky. I have to say, I get to see my kids quite often. That's good. They're, they're all in different cities, but I get to see them quite often, but I can't like, I can't stress how important it is to be present with all people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've all been with that person who sits across the table from you or something who's continuously checking their phone continuously. Mm -hmm. from, like, so like one of the things I try to do when I'm with people is just like, I shut my phone. I don't shut it off. Yep. I shut, shut the alerts off. So I don't hear it yep. because even when, when you're with somebody and they just like, look at it, mm -hmm. even that one little like look, is it like, breaks the connection. It does. And yeah. so it's like just turning it off, right? Which, which the funny thing is it's ironic, right? Because most of the things that are dinging are these social or social media platforms that are designed to increase connection. Oh, which is, it's, it's, it's ironic, right? Yeah. That's a whole different, that's a, oh. probably a whole different podcast we could get into. Yes, yeah. We both I, got some interesting ideas about that. <laughs> I, I, I read a blog post once. I, I wish I could remember where I read it, but it was about those kind of things, those interruptions and how much your phone interrupts your life. And I shut all of my social media um, alerts off and it, and it interferes with things sometimes. Like somebody's like, I messaged you and I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I have to like mentally remember to go in there yeah. and check messages because I don't get the alerts. And, um, and, I, and I have a tip for that. So what I do for that, because I do the same thing. I have no alerts on my phone when it comes to social media. I have specific times of the day yeah. that I put in my calendar, check alerts. That's I do cool. that. 
because if I because if I don't do that, I know that I won't look at it. And it's uh-huh. something that, but it's something I control. I choose when that's going to be because I choose that this is when I'm going to do this. I'm not going to let it dictate. And it's really it's sometimes it's hard because someone's like, "Hey, I messaged you and there was something going on. Why didn't you get my alert?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I explained the process that I do. I only check it these times and during the day because mm-hmm. I don't want to get sucked in." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, but that's really inconvenient." I'm like, "Well, you had my phone number." Yeah. You could have texted me if it was really that urgent. You could have done these other things that are saying, this is how you get me when you're urgent. You can email yeah. me because that I check, I check more frequently just because of my job. So I need to check that to make sure that clients are okay and things are going right and you know, mm-hmm. claims and all the kind of stuff. Cause I still do my day job as a therapist. Yeah. And so all these different things, it's but I still need to you still have to choose who wants to control. Yeah. Do you want to give them control or do you want control? And that's really what, what this system is about is it's about really being, having practical solutions to making these ways in your life so that you don't get so sucked in. Because you have to remember, if anyone who's seen the Netflix series, The Social Dilemma, oh, understands yeah. what these things do, the fact that the people that invented this stuff get sucked in like everybody else, that tells you something. Right. Oh yeah, and and the that fact that stuff. they don't let their children use the technology mm-hmm. is, says it all too. It does. So bringing it back to uh, men, mm-hmm. uh, self care. Yes. So you probably work with both men and women. Yes. And I guess my question would be um, for maybe a, a man that's listening to this podcast. So mm-hmm. what is the difference between? the availability that men and women have towards this work. Like, do you find it harder for men to step into doing this type of care for themselves and women more able to do it easier? Yes. Yeah. And the reason, and a big piece of that is biological. And it's something that people don't really think about. They're like, oh, well, you know, we are in the 21st century, you know, we should be able to access all these different things and all this stuff. But even though they found like your brain scans and stuff, but fundamentally the structure of the brain is not different between men and women. The thing that changes it is the internal circuitry and how the brain is wired. And a piece of that is, it is, you know, it's, it's you know, evolution and it's, you know, all that kind of stuff, but also it's nature versus nurture and all those kind of things. And so the hard thing is for women, because women are taught from an early age that it's okay to emote, it's okay to feel, it's okay to talk about your feelings, it's okay to show that you're sad and angry and frustrated and and happy and all these things. And men are taught still to this day, even though it's getting better, Mm -hmm. rub some dirt on it, don't cry. You'll, you know, you're if you if you cry, people are gonna think you're weak, all these kind of things. And some of these things. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. yeah. Suck it up. Get over it. Come on. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't feel that bad. It's not that bad. Come on. It's not broken. Any of those kind of things. Right. And it's that kind of stuff where that's the first barrier is men don't know how to access their emotions because we, because like I often joked with my wife, like during our, like the first part of our marriage, I only have like, I only have like six emotions. She's like, but aren't you a therapist? I'm like, well, yeah, I know there are more, but I only have six. She's like, well, what are they? Well, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm hungry, I'm horny, and I'm sleepy. She's like, three <laughs> of those, three of those are not feelings. I'm like, they feel real, they feel real to me. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, those are body states. I'm like, no, I get that. I'm I'm making a joke, but that really is what it is. It's men yeah. get stuck in those main things because I can show that I'm sad, but only if it's something catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Right. I can but most of the time. 
we show sadness for about that much and then it immediately switches to anger because yeah. for us and for most men, biologically speaking, anger is the emotion that kept us alive in survival for all this time. Because what people forget is we're in America, we're 200 years away from the wild west. Yeah. We are, we are six, we are 120 years from the industrial revolution. We are 60 years from the first computer. We are, we are 35 years, uh, 38 years from the birth of the internet. We are 15 years from the first smartphone. We are seven or six or seven years from apps becoming ubiquitous. And now we have AI. So when yeah. you put it in that context of 185,000 years of evolution, that was the last time when human beings had a major evolutionary shift was around that time. And since then, it's been nothing but survival mode, hardcore survival mode. And this and is this is what needs to change. This is, this is what, yes. Yeah. And, and, and men, in order for men to thrive and survive in the current state, they need mm -hmm. to be able to learn how, how to do these things. Yes. And, and the first it. part is recognizing it's okay to it's have okay. feelings. Yes. It's, it's okay, okay to feel. It's okay to, to recognize that you're not doing good. It's okay to ask for help when you're not doing good. Yeah. It's okay to reach out and say, I am really not doing good because I'm dealing with my pain by going to the bar every night after work, by coming home and having two or three or four drinks to unwind, by smoking weed, by doing whatever you're doing, by don't mm -hmm. go by coming home, saying hello and going plugging into video games or plugging mm -hmm. into just more work or whatever it is, because all these things are ways that we use to soothe ourselves. And that's the hard thing is the first thing for men that we need to break through is it's okay to feel. It's yeah. okay to have problems and yeah. it's okay to talk to somebody about it. Like, so one of my clients that I have, so I work with a lot of ex-military because Colorado Springs has uh, five military bases and Cheyenne Mountain. So yeah. we're like 90, like, like what well, I think it's like 56% military, ex-military live here. Yeah. So I have a lot of ex-military clients. And one of the clients that I've been working with now for almost two years, major PTSD, major trauma, major issues, multiple deployments, all these things, like the hardest of the hardcore kind of stuff that you could get when dealing with what you would consider to be a manly man, right? Yeah. Because the military is not about warm and fuzzies. It's yeah. about brush it off, push through, don't uh -huh. worry about it. You'll be fine. Yeah, your buddies got blown up, but you didn't. We got to put you back out there. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff. And so it took me seven months of working with him every day for him to begin to trust me just to get him to do basic journaling. Yeah. Nothing crazy, just basic journaling. Just write about what you're feeling. Just mm -hmm. get it out. I want you to see the story up here that's in the feeling part of your brain that keeps telling you, this is why you're acting this way. This is why you need to do this. This is, you have to be afraid. You have to be fearful. You have, everyone's trying to get you. Bad stuff is always around the corner because of what you've been through. Yeah. And finally, one day he decided, okay, I'm, you've been harassing me to do this for seven months. Every time you ask me, did I journal? And I just finally said, fine, I'm going to do it. Fine. I'm like, okay, how did it go? You did this to make me feel stupid, didn't you? I'm like, no, what happened? Well, I wrote out the thing that I was thinking about the way you said, which is just to brain dump it onto the page. I went and did the stuff I told you, you told me to do, which is then go exercise and do some breathing and all the stuff. And yeah, that made me feel better, but that's beside the point. I'm going to, 
And I read the thing, like you told me to do. I'm like, okay. And what did you find out? That it made no sense whatsoever. That it was the rantings of a lunatic. And I'm like, okay. He's like, and I realized in that moment, that's how I've been living my life. And it made me feel so foolish. Now he's working on writing a book. Yeah. It's now that's been, that was probably about a year ago. And I'm just like, wow, you know, it's like, but it's those kind of things. The moment he began to see the story that he was telling himself, the moment that he began to witness and recognize where these feelings were coming from, what was going on within him, how that story was getting him to be disconnected from his wife, not be a present father, not feeling connected to his neighbors, not all these being mad at the police all the time, all these different things to where now he's calm, centered, rational, more connected with his wife than ever, more connected with his daughter than ever. He has, he lets his daughter, he lets his wife read his journal, which I never thought was going to happen. He has evening like regular evening conversations with her and it created a deeper connection in more ways than one because he always said you know my daughter is the person that saved my life because it wasn't for her I probably would have ended it a long time ago that's you know that's amazing because um this that one sentence that you said there is is that it formed a deeper connection with his family basically Mm -hmm. being able to express his feelings and that's something that I want all men to hear because they think that if they're vulnerable, that they're going to get judged in a different way. And I think they don't realize how welcoming and how much more deeper the relationships that they have with the people in their lives, all the people, including relationships with men will improve and deepen. And I think that's really important. And so I want to amazing thing, right? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask you like, um, for somebody who's like maybe skeptical or nervous mm-hmm. or doesn't know where to start, do you have like anything like quick that you can give them for the listeners out there to help yes. them? Yes, the, there's, two, there's two things that I teach people the first day that I meet them for life coaching or for therapy. Yeah. And I teach them first what I call my emotional management plan, which is where when you have any big emotion, or even when you feel like you're suppressing a big emotion, that this is what you do. You stop and you do some box breathing, which I'll teach you all about how to do that really quick. So you stop and do box breathing. You then write down like a sentence to a paragraph of what the thoughts are in your head. You then go take a walk, do a quick bit of exercise if you're able to, but do something to change where your blood is going. Mm -hmm. And then come back and read what you wrote. It takes about five to seven minutes to do this. Yeah. So what box, the reason why box breathing is one of the first things I have people do is because box breathing is, was designed by doctors and was designed through studying all the different kinds of breathing exercises, all the different kinds of stuff for professional athletes, for Olympians, for those kind of things. Because what they found is when you get too much in your head, that's when you get the yips, right? That's when you can't perform. It's when you can't do anything. It's when you get totally discombobulated because you're so in your head that you can't then perform and do the things that you've done a thousand million times. Yeah. And so what box breathing does is it soothes your central nervous system and it soothes your, um, the, the, the vagus nerve. It? Yes. Yes. It soothes the vagus nerve. Thank you. I was missing that one. It soothes <laughs> the vagus nerve. And what it does is it, cause right now, biologically speaking, every human being on the planet is biologically in fight or flight. Mm-hmm depending and and everybody is born with at least between a one or a two but then you throw 
any kind of abuse, any kind of trauma, any kind of issues, and that increases the trauma load that you carry every day. And so the higher that is, the faster you go from, from being okay and not being in a fight or flight state to being in a fight or flight state almost instantaneously. Yes. And so that's one of the things. And so what box breathing does is it soothes the vagus nerve to the point where you're no longer feeling like you're going to be attacked at any moment because that's oh. what fight or flight is. It is 185,000 years of evolution mm -hmm. saying everything wants to kill you. Yeah. And that's not the case, yeah. but that's what everybody goes through. And so what box breathing is, is you breathe in for four seconds, you hold for two seconds, you breathe out for four seconds and you hold for two seconds. And then you do that four times. Yeah. And what that does, because if you were running from a lion, would you think, oh, I need to box breathe? No, you would, <laughs> your heart would be pumping, your lungs would be going, you'd be going full out sprint as fast as you can, trying to find any way to get away. But that is exactly what state your body is in when you're sitting at your desk and you're mm -hmm. feeling anxious or stressed, or you get that churning, sour feeling in your gut, or your shoulders are really, really tight. Because yes. your body knows before you do that you are in fight or flight. Because yes. 80% yeah. of what we do as human beings comes from the neck down. But yeah. we only really look at what is in here. But where does all this get its information from? Everything from the neck down. That's yeah. where it is. So if your heart is beating fast and your lungs are breathing shallow and your body's dumping adrenaline, you're now adrenalized. You're now in fight or flight. So by doing the box breathing first, you're now able to begin to slow the process down because you're making your heart beat slower. You're making your lungs fill up all the way instead of like that. So now your body's like, oh, I guess I'm not running and fighting for my life. I guess I can calm down and turn off the adrenaline spigot. And so once you do that, you then write out the thoughts that were in your head. What's the story you were telling yourself? Because this is the way the body tells the story. My boss is mad at me. That means I'm going to lose my job. That means my wife or my partner is going to leave me. Mm -hmm. That means I'm never going to get to see my kids, my dog or whatever again. I'm going to lose everything I have and I'm going to end up dead under a bridge. And it's like, wow, that escalated really fast. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that is the way that the human body has been conditioned for 185,000 years. Because really, 5,000 years ago, the beginning of written history, before that, nomadic tribes, survival, you were working for about 18 to 20 hours a day just to survive. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you're lucky, you found a cave to sleep in where you didn't die. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're pre-programmed with. And everyone thinks, oh, well, we're in the modern age. Why do we not? Why do we still feel that way? Well, because biology is super long to well, change. It yeah. takes so long to change. Well, but the good thing is, is we have this amazing little squishy blob in our brain, in here, our brain that lets us slow down, take that breath and recognize, oh, I recognize where that's coming from. That's coming from this fear-based place. That's why when I talk to most people, I tell them, hey, most feelings start with biological fear. And they're like, I don't like that. No, that, that that's not true. How could that be? I'm like, well, have you ever been in a family gathering or been insanely happy at something? And then the thought crosses your mind, boy, I wonder when this is going to end. I wonder if I'm ever going to feel this happy again. I, I wonder if everyone is as happy as I am right now. That's the fear beginning to creep in. Even in joy, there's a little kernel of fear, that biological fear in everything 
they were pre-programmed for that because yeah. we we're pre-programmed for that yeah. which is why doing the small these really small things of slow like so the way my what i do every day is i take three minutes in the morning to meditate i do two minutes of journaling after that to kind of state my intentions for the day do some gratitude stuff those kind of things because it's been scientifically proven but if you start the day with a positive mindset the day mm. is positive surprising how that works because this is the thing that makes my day what it is because yeah. your thoughts plus your feelings equals your actions and your reactions. Yeah. And that's the way it is for every human being. I mean, that's so I, so I do that. So I do that process three times a day. I do that at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping myself and I'm checking myself to say, Hey, am I still on track? Okay. How did I get off track? Why did I get off track? What is the story I'm telling myself of how I'm off track? And by doing those simple things of using the emotional management plan, when you all of a sudden have that adrenalized feeling and being able to then do the check-ins with yourself each day and making time for that, you now are able to begin to change and steer your day in a different way where, because I mean, my favorite thing to do is I take about a 15 minute nap every day at lunch, because Mm -hmm. when I wake up after that nap, it's like, it's a whole new day. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like a reset. Not everybody has the luxury of doing that, but I plan that into my day because I need that for my sanity. And I know that. And if it's not a 15 minute nap, it's meditation or I have, or I do stuff where I, where I do like a, I have a vagus nerve, like a portable vagus nerve stimulator. And I meditate to it while listening, while doing that and listening to meditations and stuff. So there's all kinds of different things that you can do. But really, it's this. If you can get a handle on the story that you're telling yourself, and you can then begin to say, no, I don't believe that story. I'm not going to follow that story. And you can begin to challenge and change the story in those moments. Eventually, that's how your thinking will change. It takes time. That does take time. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. And I think that those are excellent tips, you know, so the emotional management plan and then taking that time and people Mm -hmm. think, oh, I don't have time for that. But like you said, it's, it's like five to 10 minutes. It's like a short period of time out of your day. And it makes such big changes when you keep yourself, when you're like in a state of like gratitude and you're working Mm -hmm. on these things, you can't be in a state of stress and anxiety at the same time. Exactly. And so like changing those states, is just so important. And the fact that you do it three times a day um, is extremely helpful. And I I would go as much to add doing something like that before bed so that when you go to, you go to sleep in a state, uh, like a positive state, it's a good way to like set yourself up for some good dreaming and some good sleep. Well, the journaling process, the best thing to do is to journal just before bed and just dump all the stuff in your brain, all the worries, all the concerns, everything. I even tell a lot of people when they have insomnia and you wake up at like 3 a.m. because your brain is spinning. Okay, well, take 10 minutes. Go box breathe. Do your emotional management plan. Dump the stuff out of your brain. Do these things. Take that 10 minutes and then go back to your bed and and work on these things to help you. Then do some box breathing in bed. Do box breathing when you start and then do box breathing in bed and you will go right back to sleep within about a half hour because- You have the ability to change that because what's happened is maybe you woke up from a bad dream. Maybe it was from a traumatic nightmare. Maybe it was from just random thoughts about the day. Who knows what it was, Mm -hmm. but you are the one who's in control. If I could tell anybody and everybody something, I would want to tell them that one thing. There's three things that I've learned doing, being alive for 47 years and doing this kind of work for 23 years. And the first one is we're all making it up as we go along. 
-hmm. every single human being on the planet from the moment you open your eyes to the moment you close your eyes at night you're making it up you're using all your knowledge all your wisdom all your intellect everything you know and sometimes learning new things that you don't know Mm -hmm. but we're all making it up and the second thing is nobody has all the answers i have a lot of answers because i've spent my life in pursuit of the answers but i don't know everything yeah. And so most of it, so I'm perfectly fine saying, you know, I don't know about that. Let me look into that and I will get back to you because yeah. nobody has all the answers. I mean, we have until AI gets a chip in our head where it'll tell us all the answers. There's nothing we can do <laughs> to learn everything and know everything. Right. I hope I'm dead before that happens. <laughs> really and then the third speak. thing is, is that connection is key mm-hmm. without proper connections without feeling connected to the world and to people in real time, not Facebook, not Instagram, not Snapchat, but real human connection. That is what we are all starved for. Every single one of us. I agree. The pandemic puts such a fine point on it. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like, well, everybody's forgotten because it's all back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's such a fine point that this kind of connection I love technology. I'm, I've played with technology since I was seven. I yeah. love it. I think it's fantastic. It's amazing. But at the same time, like everything else, moderation. Yeah, definitely moderation. moderation. Those are excellent, excellent tips. I want to thank you for that. And I think that's a really good starting point for a lot of the people that could be are listening today. And I have I have one last question before sure. we go. Uh, and this is just a fun question that I, I ask like everybody that comes on. And so if you could have anything that you wanted with no limitations, so no monetary, uh, Mm -hmm. social, age limitation, Mm -hmm. anything, what would it be? Starship Enterprise. (laughs) You're going to laugh. So (laughs) I I can't remember how long ago this was. I've been doing a lot of interviews for the podcast, but somebody said, you know, you know, uh, the thing on Star Trek where they can transport from one place to the other. Remember they uh-huh. would stand on the dots and they would like slow yep. this out. She, she was like that teleport teleportation. And I'm like, yep. I agree. You know, that somebody knows how to do that already. And they just, they just start sharing it with us. And <laughs> I, I definitely want to be able to teleport and be like, okay, talk to one. Right. Of my- uh, I'm not going to limit myself to teleportation. I want the entire ship with all the replicators, with all the phasers, photon torpedoes, be able to travel the different distant stars. That's what I want because I I just want to go out and spread it all to the universe of like, hey, everything is going to be okay. Because that's the big thing I've learned in my life through all the struggle and all the hardship and all the the good, the bad, and the indifferent is that there's always hope Mm -hmm. if you look for it. If you figure out a way to do that, there is always hope and you can make a change if you decide to do that. Yeah. But for some people, it takes, you got to bang your head against a brick wall until you realize, oh, my head's going to give before this brick wall does. And yeah. for some people, it takes a lifetime. For other people, it happens because giant things happen that force them to re-examine things. But the thing is, is you can change anytime you want to. That's the most amazing thing about human beings is like Jim Rohn says, you're not a tree. You can pick up your roots and move and do and change and go. If you don't like something, stop. Stop it. You said the magic word, which is decide. It's a decision. People don't want to hear that because it pisses them off. But Well, it's easier to blame other people for our problems than to take ownership. But that's the main thing that 
I really want that I really teach in this program is first thing you have to do is you have to decide that mm-hmm. I that I am at fault for some of these things. Yeah. Maybe not a hundred percent. Because it's impossible for you to be a hundred percent at fault because life does happen. Yeah. But you have to own your stuff. And yes. until you own your stuff, change is really, really hard. Because yeah. you can't because how do you change if you don't own it? Right. Yeah, you have to you have to own it and you have to accept it and then you then you can move forward. That's yeah. a very good point. So tell me how could everybody find you and sure. So everybody can find me in a bunch of different places because I'm on of, of course I'm on the social media, even though yes. I don't want to. But <laughs> so if you want to do, if you want, you know, so if you want to find out more about small changes, big impact. And you want to learn more about the system, how to take accountability, how to all the different, if you want to learn about what psychological tools I teach and how you can change your life in 15 minutes a day so that you can have a better life in like, you know, about hundred days, you know, you can reach out and you can find me if you're tired and feeling stuck at smallchangesbigimpact.net backslash info on that website, you'll be able to get more information linked to a free um, 20 minute training on burnout or just set up a phone call with me for a half hour so you can ask questions. You can also find all that same information and myself on Facebook and Instagram at small changes, uh, big impact dot the number four and the letter U. Okay, perfect. And all that will be in the show notes so that you guys yes. can check it out. Uh, thanks again for coming on. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you for having me.